0: Um, finished projects are the bridge from your current reality to the life you want to live, to the work that you want to do. And so if you're not living the life you want to live and you're not doing the work that what you want to do, the reality is you haven't done the projects to get there. It's not about your character. It's not about your deficiencies. It's not that you're uniquely defective and can't get right. It's just, you haven't done the projects and that's freeing in a way. It frees up a lot of the energy that can keep us stuck. It also makes us unaccountable accountable because like if we stop blaming the world, and stop blaming our inner deficiencies and stop blaming it on the resistance, then we realize, wait a second, it's just choices is what this boils down to. What choices am I making? How am I prioritizing things? You know, hell yes lifers, what if that thing you're afraid of, that thing you're thrashing about, it's actually a compass that's pointing you to what matters to you.
1: welcome to the hell yes life podcast where you'll hear inspiring stories and life lessons from amazing hell yes entrepreneurs who are running their for-purpose businesses and living their hell yes lives i'm your host norman bell Hey there, Hell Yes Lifers. Welcome to another episode of the Hell Yes Life podcast. I am your host, Norman Bell. And today on the show, I have as my guest, I'm super excited about this, Charlie Gilkey. Now, let me tell you about Charlie. Charlie helps people start finishing the stuff that matters. He's the founder of Productive Flourishing, author of the books, Start Finishing, and the Small Business Lifecycle, and host of the Productive Flourishing podcast. Before starting Productive Flourishing, Charlie worked as a joint force military logistics coordinator while sim- simultaneously pursuing a PhD in philosophy he lives with his wife angela in portland oregon charlie welcome to the hell yes life podcast
0: norman thanks for having me and i uh, i love the i love the frame around hell yeses. and so uh, this is going to be a great conversation Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, that
1: uh, great lead in to my first question, which I always ask my guests before. Of course, we'll unpack everything that you're up to now and and talk about your books and productivity and, and everything that you're an expert in. But I always like to start off by asking my guests, what is your hell yes? What's that thing that really lights you up and makes you come alive?
0: Um, it's pretty broad, but I love getting with people and making stuff happen. Like if we were to look at it from a, from a StrengthsFinder, you know, or Gallup's Strengths, whatever they call it these days, right? My my top two strengths, top three strengths would be like, you know, relator, achiever, and strategic. And so just, um, I, it's, it, I'm chronically bad at this in the sense of if there's something cool going on um, and there's a little bit of chaos and we're not quite sure how to get there, I'm your hell yes guy for that. It's like, and it, yeah, it gets me in a lot of trouble. Um, yeah. And what I'll say is I've learned in my short 40 years, 41, actually I had a birthday recently, um, 41 that happy birthday. Thank you. um, I'm content these days to be able to answer my hell yeses in five to seven chunk, five to seven year chunks of my life. Oh, okay. And not be tied to like that. My hell yes. Now has to be a hell yes. Like for any long term. Um, and we might want to unpack that, but I was, you know, yeah. thinking about that um, on this conversation. Cause I know that trips a lot of folks up because they're sort of like that existential crisis. Like what if my hell yes now is the wrong hell yes. And what do I do? And I'm like, well, you can change your mind. Like you can build new possibilities and then look and say with what's available now, what's a hell yes. Instead of, where my hell yes seven years ago had to do with anything I'm doing now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hell yes lifers. Um, you know, hopefully, uh, uh,
1: you know, you can hear what Charlie's saying there. And I think we've talked about it here on the podcast before that your hell yes may change. You may have several hell yeses and, uh, and it's not, you know, one thing for the rest of your life. And don't worry if, um, you know, you don't know what it is today. So yeah, Charlie, I definitely like to unpack that a little bit more as we, as we talk here. And I, I definitely identify with that. I, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the term scanner, you know, uh, yeah, uh, barbershop, barbershop. Sure. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. it talks about, uh, People who scan the horizon across many different interests, I certainly consider myself one of those. And so, yeah, I would love to hear more about that. Now, um, but let me ask my follow-up question is, when did you realize that this was your hell yes or you know that this general theme was
0: your hell yes? Uh, 2007 or 8, I was in an um, administrative position in academia, and I was not having the best relationship with my boss at the time. (laughs) Um, And there was parts of my life. She just didn't know about, right. She knew I was in the army at the time. She knew I was a military commander at the time. She didn't know that I had started productive flourishing and that I was working and building and doing a lot of writing there. And it came to a point where um, it was friction and things were happening. And, you know, she looked at me and she's like, you know, you're, you've got to, a master's degree in philosophy. You, you make a certain amount of money. Like you should be happy with the job. Like you should just do what I tell you to do.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: And I looked at her and I was like, Hmm, well, see, that's interesting because at this point in my career and granted I was a cocky 27, 28 year old. Right. I was like, I'm at the point where I want to start building more working with relationships, not working for relationships. Mm -hmm. So, and I kind of told you that from the beginning. So I think I'm done. (laughs) Um, And she was shocked because like graduate students don't quit, that you don't leave a good job. What she didn't know is that the next day I could walk and get more money and a better job with the army, or I could do what I'm doing now in productive flourishing. She didn't know about that. So from her frame of reference, like this was the option. So why couldn't I get with the option? And so in that moment, I was like, you know what? This is clearly not my hell yes, right? We have stuff going on. So I could, I could admit my part to it. But what I started thinking about was this road that I'm walking in now, PF, I was like, this is hell yes, this is the best available of the options. Yes, I could be great at either of the two careers that I've got right now, but I couldn't be fully like a fully expressed human in a way that I wanted to be. And so I was like, well, I'm going to do this weird because y'all like we live in 2021. It's hard to remember that there was still a point in time where it was weird to be a blogger. Mm -hmm, like it was weird to be a solo thought leader, what we now have out there. That wasn't a thing so much at that time. Right. So I was just like, I'm going to do that because it's great. And I get to be myself and I get to do all these sorts of things. And I've been doing that since. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, good. I always like um, kind of going
1: back and forth, you know, now that you've told that story, but going back into uh, some detail about some of the aspects of that. So um, I think a lot of people that listening to this can relate to, that moment of, you know what, this isn't working for me anymore. I quit. And then, you know, in your story, you had productive flourishing already going and you were able to sort of step into that. Um, well, first let's back up a little bit. And uh, so you're, you're working you. You're, you're pursuing this degree. And um, and meanwhile, you're developing this on the side. So where did tell us the origin of this developing this in the first place? Like what, what drew you to this?
0: Yeah, well, so I redeployed from Operation Iraqi Freedom in 2005. And two weeks after I I came back, I was back in grad school, right? Um, And I noticed sometime afterwards, let's call it a year afterwards, I was like, hmm, what's going on here? Like, I'm really confused by this scenario. And the scenario was, on the one hand, I was able to do or I was able to like manage and orchestrate a battalion's worth of equipment so like a bunch of people a bunch of equipment in theater and do that really really well um and yet this 5000 word essay was kicking my butt <laughs> that that didn't compute in a way like how can i do all this really complex difficult stuff here but i can't sit down and write um and you know as i thought about it more what i would say now is it's obvious like i was able to do all of that hard military stuff because i was trained on how to do it I was in the right environment. I had other people around me supporting and the stakes were important. Right. Yeah, yeah. And on the academic side, no one had sat down and told me how to do this. Mm-hmm. Right. I was not in an environment that was really supportive for me and how that I, how I worked, you know. Um, the stakes weren't quite right, so on and so forth, right? And so I started thinking like, huh, this is why don't people teach us so, because it wasn't like I was the only grad graduate student with this problem I had the military sort of thing like I knew I could do great stuff but I was struggling there were some people that were just struggling and made it about themselves and things like that so I did what any good scholar and any good officer would do is like okay I'm clearly not the only one with this problem what are the available solutions um, someone has to have to write about this because there's a book for everything and um, that's the that's the advantage of being a philosopher is you realize um, about any ideas you've had someone else has had it already um, and it's probably written down somewhere. Um, so um, I started looking around, read the productivity literature, and found it was really granular, really about you know getting the to-do list done and the next actions. Very task focused. And then I read the personal development literature, and I realized it was really broad and like talks about vision and purpose and callings and all those types of you know all those types of things. But mm-hmm. for me, and for those of us around me. The problem was this messy middle of projects, Mm -hmm. not getting tasks done. Because how many of us, Norman, get 70 tasks done a week? And then look back over those tasks and I still don't feel like I got anywhere. Yeah. Like, what did I do this week? Yeah. Right. And on the other hand, it's like, how many of us are crystal clear about what our hell yes is, but we don't know what to do with it.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I have a vision of being a thought leader and da, 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 da. wait, wait, how do I get there?
0: Yeah. How do I get there? Away. It turns yeah. out projects are how you get there. And projects. you know that's what I wrote about it in start finishing is that projects are both a mirror and a bridge. So I'll start with the bridge first. Um, finished projects are the bridge from your current reality to the life you want to live to the work that you want to do. And so if you're not living the life you want to live and you're not doing the work of what you want to do, the reality is you haven't done the projects to get there. It's not about your character. It's not about your deficiencies. It's not that you're uniquely defective and can't get right. It's just you haven't done the projects and that's freeing in a way, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And so you're like, well, I'm not a great planner. Well, you haven't learned to be a great planner and you haven't committed that because planning is a skill, right? And so when you really start thinking in terms of what are the projects, what are the things that I've done that have built that bridge, it frees up a lot of the energy that can keep us stuck. It also makes us accountable because like, if we stop blaming the world and stop blaming our inner deficiencies and stop blaming it on the resistance, then we realize, wait a second, it just choices is what this boils down to. What choices am I making? How am I prioritizing things? Yeah. Um, And granted, what I want to say here for a minute, some of us have longer roads to run based upon our origin and lived experiences. I definitely get that as someone with one of those, Um, but it doesn't mean our choices still aren't up to us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So the bridge is in that way. Now they're mirrors because they reflect what's going on internally for us and they reflect what's going on in our world. And so for the types of projects that matter, most to people, I call them best work projects. um, The second you start thinking about doing it, all your stuff comes up. Right. And that's where we start falling down. Part of it is Norman in our culture We've somehow along the way have equated that if something's hard, we're not good at it, right? Maybe it's not for us because the talented people, those special few over there, when they do it, it's easy. So if I'm doing it and it's hard, maybe it's not for me. Maybe I should go find my thing, right? And so we've gotten into this idea of whenever it's hard and we struggle, something's wrong. Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: But my point, you know, is a lot of things that matter, most to them are hard, by, their, by default, they're difficult, I should say. And I'm going to talk about that in just a second. Um, and so what I call thrashing is that emotional meta work that's around a project that you're doing a lot of work around it. You're thinking about it. You're sort of half moving it. You've got stacks of stacks of research. You know, you've been talking about it for the, for, for the last six years, all that thrashing, right? Yeah. Uh, is that it's thrashing, which is different than the work itself. Yeah. Um, and so... This thrashing only happens for things that matter to us, Norman. Think about it. We don't thrash about doing the dishes, about taking the trash out. We either do it or don't do it. We can procrastinate, but we don't thrash. We don't have a Mm -hmm. mini existential crisis about it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's only the things that truly matter to us. And so my my point, sort of point one for this is like, what if, you know, hell yes, lifers, what if that thing you're afraid of, that thing you're thrashing about, it's actually a compass that's pointed you to what matters to you. Mm -hmm, Because mm -hmm. if it didn't matter, you would have let it go by now. Something's in there.
1: Cool. I. I. Yeah. Let's keep. Let's keep diving into this. I love this stuff. Um. And I. I have a term that I use personally for this sort of stuff. I. Uh, it's pushing through sludge. Like mm-hmm. when I'm. When I'm trying to. And it could be the simple. As you were just saying, right? The, the, it, you could washing the dishes, no problem. Sending an email to someone that I care about their opinion, and it's a. An, it's getting out of my comfort zone to reach out to them. It's like composing the email. Or opening the email, composing the email, you know, pushing the button, you know, like everything is like, I feel like I'm just pushing through. I'm surrounded by, you know, I don't know, mud and and I'm trying to get this thing done. So I hear you on that. Um, So let me ask a couple of things related to this. So I, and I also feel uh, this is something I've identified for myself, that I want to live a project-based life, you know, Mm -hmm. like I, I, you know, I studied journalism in college. I I do well with a deadline. If I don't have a deadline, I'm, I'm done, you know, like, kind of like your, what you were saying with your philosophy um, studies. Like, I I don't know if, if that was part of it for you, but if, if I have this open-ended sort of task, like, Hey, you could do this, you know, next week or next year, who knows, um, then I just won't do it, but I need some, some definition around, um, you know, what I'm working on a beginning and an end. And so tell us, tell us a little bit about this, about, about um, uh, approaching your life as, as a series of projects and and how to do that for people out there who aren't familiar with it.
0: Yeah. So before we go in, there's this really strange, there's this oddity in the English language and, and here it is. Um, We know that we we have a word mansion for big houses, right? (laughs) Mansion equals big house. Mm -hmm. There's no word like that for project, (laughs) right? That we all agree is a big project. How many more of us see big projects than see mansions though? Right? And it messes up because we're in the, where in our language we have a conceptual whole, we actually struggle with that more and more. Right. So I just find it really odd that as rich as English is, there's not a word for this. Yeah. Um, and so I say that because as I talk about this next, you know, this next little bit, it can be confusing because wait a second. He's talking about like little p projects versus big p projects. Mm. Um, and so before I wrote start finishing, I was talking a lot about the difference between living in career world and project world. Career world is that myth where we tell ourselves we get an education, we get we get trained on doing a certain thing, we get that job, we work for you know a certain amount of decades, and then we retire and move to Florida, right? Um, that's career world. <laughs> Usually, you work at like one company, like that's the image. No, this hasn't been real for a long time. Yeah, but it's what we were sold. I on. I don't know how many people want to move to Florida these days anymore. Anyway, Not these but anyway. <laughs> days, but yeah, everyone gets the idea. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Um, for many of us, creative souls. We actually have lived in project world, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: which um, is a lot different because in project world, your success depends upon finishing projects. You can't just sit in a seat for 10 years, (laughs) right? And that count for anything. Actually, it counts against you. If you can't show what you've shipped, people will start being like, what have you been doing all this Mm -hmm. time? Sitting over there in the corner, like sitting in the corner, not good. Shipping work, right? And so when you think about that living in project world, most, you know, projects that really move the needle in their lives, take three to five years, let's call them five years just to make the the linguistics easier, five years to get this thing done. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, as I was thinking about this, I was like, well, that's actually really illuminating because you you, you take 85, which is the age most people, like most of us can assume we will be able to be contributing members of society, subtract your age from that, divide by five. That's the number of significant projects you have remaining in your life. So when it comes down to like how you pick projects, one good way of saying is like, does this thing that I'm working on right now, would this be worth taking one of my slots, one of my nine slots? And that's where we have to start talking about how projects relate to each other, you know, clumping and chunking. And so, Norman, like you might be doing this podcast and you're like, I don't know if the podcast is my thing. But how that wraps under the five-year project that you're currently working on, like it supports that. And so it makes sense for you to do the podcast because you've allocated this amount of time to run your business or your, you know, your brand. Yeah. That's how it makes sense. Um, so the other thing that I want to say here that trips a lot of folks up is anything that takes time, energy, and attention is a project in my world, right? A lot of times when we think project, we think work and career. And then the work of our lives lives out there amorphously. Maybe we'll get to it. Maybe we'll keep dreaming about it. Maybe it'll be on a vision board, but we don't make a project out of it, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, I want to be a better dad. Okay. How do you, what are you going to do to do that? What does that look like in the world for you to do? And it changes that because when we make the work of our lives um, get on our schedule when we turn them into projects, we actually start to get some lift on things, but we also realize when we think about it, how much we're already carrying. And that's one of the things, especially in the productivity space, it's not really addressed is when we talk about work-life balance a lot, but I don't know that we really acknowledge how much people are carrying already. And so a lot of people normally will come to me, is like, great, you got these planners, you got this book, I want to get more done. I'm like, how about we acknowledge what you're already doing? Yeah. How about let's start there because your journey with me might be about how you do less and let go of some of the things that don't matter Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and put more of your life energy towards the things that do. Mm -hmm. And if you're Mm -hmm. not really on that journey, if it's just about cranking more, cranking more, I might not be your guy and I'm fine with that. Right. Um, But I'm not going to look at a bunch of folks who are already overwhelmed and overloaded And then help feed that narrative that they need to be more loaded up. They need to be faster, stronger, so on and so forth, as opposed to like, how about we be more intentional Mm -hmm. and more conscious and focus on those core things that when we look back 10 years later, say, you know what, that project, that season of my life was well spent as opposed to feeling like that season of your life got away from you because you were so busy working.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let me ask some follow-up questions based on some of the things you said there. Um, one is, um, are you familiar with the war of art by Stephen Pressfield? I mm-hmm. Yeah. I just think of that sometimes in this, this, uh, or it comes up around this idea of being busy with a bunch of things and, and he just talks about it in, in the uh, realm of <clears throat> creativity, but then, there, you know, he's, he does such a great job of, of, um, posing this enemy of resistance, capital mm-hmm. R resistance and how it comes in many forms. And so that that can be one of the forms that comes in is sort of like busying yourself with a bunch of things that don't really matter. So you can sort of avoid doing the thing that really lights you up and scares you too. Right. So there's that. And then um, I also just want to acknowledge because I, <laughs> I noticed in watching the Super Bowl this year or part of it that it sort of felt like the pandemic wasn't going on and there was this real disconnect for me, like nobody was wearing. Anyway, whatever about the masks and all that. But, but just um, so I just want to acknowledge, hey, everybody, here we are. We're still in the pandemic. And um, I, I just want to mention that on this podcast so it doesn't feel like a disconnect, like you shouldn't be you know, uh, having um, pandemic-related struggles right now because surely you are out there. And, um, in, in relation to that, just, uh, Charlie, you were saying about doing less, is there even more of this idea of doing less in this time when we're so overloaded with stress, um, that has come, uh, come up in the past year?
0: Yeah. So, um, apparently I'm all about projects today. So another thing from start finish, I talk a lot about in my community is the five projects rule. It's a long way of saying that is no more than five active projects per time perspective going can unpack that per time perspective is the easiest place to start. So no more than five year size projects, right? No more than five quarter size projects, no more than five month size. So it scales up and down. So you can look at this week and what are my five week size projects that I'm working on, right? And people get tripped up because it's no more than, right? You might have three. Now, I want to put that on because to your point about it being us being in COVID times, like, look, COVID for all of us created a project. So you're already off of one. So, all right, you're down to four projects. If you got sick because of COVID, guess what? That's another project, (laughs) right? If you're caretaking for someone else who got sick or needed to move into you, that's another project. So you're starting the year with like two projects left over. And so people are like, (gasps) but when you really look at what happened, though, right, right? That's what happened for many of us. Like, why am I not getting so much stuff done? Like, I got to do yeah. all the things. Yeah. You got this other life changing, like, global pandemic. Yeah. You don't know how to get groceries and toilet paper right now. Right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's a project. That's yeah. a project. How like, do I get toilet paper? Yeah. <laughs> to think that you can do everything that you were doing before and adapt to this at the same time, that's just a recipe for misery and yeah. suffering. Right. And so, to your point, I'm glad you mentioned that because. We're not out of COVID yet, right? And people are like, oh, maybe it's a turnaround. You know what? We still carry in this project, though, because how many of us are not committing to certain things because we don't know what's happening? How many of us can't do some of the things that we want to do because of COVID, right? We're still in it. It's just not as bad and not as terrible for us at this point because we're starting to figure it out. Yeah. So um, I just want to put that out there. Also, just for a moment of grace and compassion, if you're dealing with a chronic illness, right, or you got in a car accident or you're dealing with a lot of pain, guess what? that's a project too. Mm-hmm. And you might be mad at me about saying that, but when you really look at how your days go, it's a project. Um, and I'll say, uh, I know you're looking for stories. When I was writing start finishing um, I had a health thing pop up. Right. And it was one that I had to have a surgery, a minor surgery and everything like that. Right. When I was writing the book, right. Drafting the book in the, in the peak of it, the way that I write Norman is like, I know that anytime I start a book project or I get a book deal, the first three or four months are me just sort of a bit of thrashing and a lot of just figuring out how I'm going to structure this and thinking and reading and things like that. I don't actually start really, really writing until about four months into it, right? And then I'm on fire. About the time that I was on fire is when I had this health thing pop up. Mm. So it's taking a couple hours a day of therapy and a couple hours a day of, you know, hot tubs or bathtubs and, you know, just a lot of personal care. And it was a project on top of this book project already. Like for me to think that it wasn't a project and to think that I was going to be on deadline with my book and everything like that, it was just folly. And so I had to eat my own cooking here. I was like, you know what? Recovering from this is a project. Don't like it. But if that's the case, what else shifts? right? What do I need to choose to let go of in this moment? Um, um, and so same thing happened. Not same thing is because it's much more minor, but um, over the last month or so, I had something going on with my psoas and my right leg, and it's been super painful. And I haven't been as productive as normal, right? And I'm like, well, if I'm managing pain at that level, and I had to admit to my wife a couple of weeks ago, I was like, I don't know how I did it, but I actually injured myself somewhere. And in our language, there's a difference between something stiff and when you're actually injured.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm like, I'm
0: injured. I don't know what I did, but we got to treat it as such. I got to claim it as such so that I can make some peace for what needs to shift yeah, and prioritize recovering from this injury as opposed to just limping along thinking that it's going to be get better for itself
1: like literally limping along, I guess in this case. Yeah. Um, so, uh, okay. Let's, let's take these two. All right. So I guess we're talking about projects today. Um, but that's, that's <laughs> yeah. great. I think a lot of people will get, um, you know, and get a lot out of listening to this. Um, Let's talk about the 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 kind of the traditional sort of project that we might might have been thinking about when when you first started talking a work related project, uh you know something to kind of move the dial in your career or your, your business um i'll I'll have a, a you know I'll use a personal example out of all years in 2020 I managed to write a book. you know mm-hmm. I've always wanted to do that. I think maybe a lot of people were sort of sidelined from their usual activities, so I don't think that it's um, super uncommon but but nevertheless. So that was like a big, I like these big projects, you know, these things that are like, you know, you get to the end of it. And it's like, crap, I wrote a book. How awesome. Right? You know, right? yeah. as opposed to even just like, um, you know, I, I love doing the podcast, but, uh, but yeah, something that feels like uh, something really tangible that you get at the end of it. So that's, you know, that's one example. I'd like to hear what, what are some other examples of, of, you know, maybe some typical or, you know, uh, uh, projects that people take on uh, and then, and then I'd like to hear secondarily about this idea of these uh, life uh, you know these things that we don't normally think of as projects like my leg injury or 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 dealing with covid and how to frame that as a project. Okay, go yeah. ahead for the next 10 minutes or so.
0: So do you want me to <laughs> um do you want me to focus on entrepreneurs or employed folks or like is there
1: Yeah. Let's go with entrepreneurs. Let's, uh, you know, not to make assumptions about who's listening, but let's say I'm similar to you. You know, I have a book, I'm looking to establish myself as an expert in a particular area and, you know, grow a following and do workshops and all and coaching and all that kind of stuff. So let's say there's, um,
0: you know, people out there and whatever level of that they're in. So, okay. So Norman, for most people, when there's like, Hey, Charlie, I'm writing a book. I'm like, okay, that's a three-year project. Yeah. Right, because there's the writing, there's the publishing, yeah. right, all that sort of thing that goes on. And then what most folks don't think about is when you create a significant body of work, there's all the sort of sawdust um, and stuff that happens from that the workshops that happen from it, the speeches that happen, the workbooks, all that sort of stuff that starts happening. Um, And when you really think about that as a body of work, like year one could be just writing the book, right? Um, Year two is publishing it and really figuring out how to integrate it into your business. And then year three is then how do you take, you know, the seeds that the book planted and really see those to light. And again, that could be a three to five year project. And so I know um, I'm currently working on uh, my next book after start finishing. And it's always that like, okay, this is three to five years. Right, and I just know how that's how long it takes and I'm okay with that because I'd rather write a book and, and do the full harvesting of it than just write a book and then ship the next one, ship the next one, ship the next one. That's not fun for me and that's not the way that I want to roll. Um, so that's an example of a three-year project, but we could think year size project could be like this year, I'm just promoting and positioning the book. How am I gonna spend, that, spend a full year doing that? By the way, most authors on this one really underestimate how long it takes for a book to find its readers and to get traction and velocity. Right. Yeah. Um, and so if you're just thinking of like the one month or third or three month launch, you're missing out on the best parts of the book. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, there's that piece going on. So pot, launching a podcast to be a similar, series. like people think it's just right. Getting the show on, on, you know, on iTunes and things like that, but it's like, okay, let's talk about that. Where are you going to get your first six to 10 episodes? Yeah. Right. How, what equipment do you need? What are you going to talk about? Like, how are you going to promote this thing when you really start talking about it? Um, and, and, you know, JLD or John Lee, John Lee Dumas might get mad at me about this, but like, you really need to be thinking that's a year sized project, Absolutely. right? Just getting that off the ground. And it's okay if it takes that long, right? This is crunch of like, I can do it in a weekend. I mean, you could, but is that going to be your best work? Like, is that going to, like, is that what you have to do? So that's an example of a project. Anytime you're going through, especially your first product launch, think in terms of a year, please. Please think in terms of a year, because there's figuring out, validating what the idea is, turning that idea into a product, launching said product, delivering against said product, figure out what you didn't get right the first time and iterating on that product, doing it again. Your size project, folks right um i could keep going but i'm hoping that gives yeah. people right yeah, a that's- sense a sense of scale there
1: yeah. That's some good examples. So we have a book, a podcast, product launch. Um, I'm sure there's many more. Uh, let's take the book since, you know, just do so I can apply it to myself uh, so a little selfishly, but I'm sure there's other people let's get there. It. Yeah. Um, so you said you're talking, you're kind of talking about the book as a three-year project, but then let's say, and this is where I'm going with this year is, you know, really, um, you know, wanting to, you know, not just write a book and then put it on the shelf, but uh, but then dedicate the time to promoting it and then using it as a tool to sort of grow my business. So, how do we how do we look at that? Is that a phase within the project? Is that a project within the project? Um, do you know what I mean? Like could I, I look mean. at could I look at writing the book as the project and then this is a separate project, or is this this under this Uber umbrella? I know, I don't know
0: if it's all just semantics, but uh, but do tell well, this goes back to what I was saying earlier about us not having a big word for project, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like and so I would say this is one of those capital p three to five year projects that yeah. like publishing a book um, and building a business behind it. Let's just count that as five years. Yeah. Right. And then when you start looking at chunking that down into smaller phases. So again, something that trips a lot of authors up is there's one phase of the book that's drafting the book. Drafting your book might take you a year. Yeah. Right. There's a difference between drafting a book and publishing a book there's a difference between publish a book and fully launching and pushing it to market and things like that. Right. And promoting it. And there's a difference between right. Really building that up. And so when you really think about it, it's saying, okay, you spent year one just drafting the book to getting it so that you could, you know, put it into Amazon, if that's what you did. Right. And sell so publish it. So people could buy it. You published it. Yay. Right. Mm-hmm. That's a milestone. Huge. Yeah. It doesn't mean you like really launched and promoted the book though. Yeah. Right. And so you know, I would be having you think, Norman, like, what am I going to do this year? Yeah. Every month to be getting this book out. Right. Yeah. And not, don't commit to the early successes because that's what trips us up as entrepreneurs. It's like, well, I'll commit to the early successes. And if it doesn't go well, I'm out. Mm-hmm. Right. Commit to the year mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for this type of work. Right. Yeah. So, what does that look like? So, I would say that's a year sized project. That's how we get around that and say this is a year sized project. Right. Um, Your sized phase of that project. And then you chunk it down appropriately. So what are you going to do this quarter? Next quarter? What are you going to do this month? Right. You can kind of see it that way. Really a lot of the momentum comes when we do our best work and mastering quarters and weaving one quarter into the next one. Quarter, meaning the three month chunks of the quarter size projects, I should say. Right. Um, Quarter size projects are where most people's native talent and tenacity and focus will wane. Right. Um, and so we can, we everyone can stand on their head for a month, right? You can do it, you can push hard for a month, three months, and then another three months, and then another three months. Um, that's where people fall down. Yeah. Right. And so, really learning to commit to projects at that. And that's where, again, the five projects rule comes in, right? Because we say, okay, one, Norman, for you, one of your five year size projects is promoting your book. Yeah. Okay. That means when you're looking at your quarter, I would be saying, so Norman, what's the quarter size chunk? What does that, how do you take that year size project and chunk it down into a quarter sized phase that Mm -hmm. makes sense to you? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. And if it doesn't show up, especially if I were your coach, I'd be like, so really, what are you doing with that? Like, is it just, are we talking about magic fairy dust now? It's just going to grow itself or what's going (laughs) on here? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And it's a really useful frame because you can go back up and down your time perspectives. And say, you know what? I completely lost sight of where things were. Um, January was crazy in the United States. A lot of people lost sight of things. It's all good. It's all good. What were your five year size projects um, that you were working on? And how do you pick it up and say, you know what? It's February. It's cool. I got to get some traction. I'm just going to focus on my my month size projects and really articulate what those five are and see if there's a map between those. Yeah. Right. And you can make a conscious choice. You say, you know what? I got my leg thing. I'm not going to be able to work on the book as much this month. I'm not going to make that one of my top 5 projects. I'm consciously making that choice, which means at the end of February I'm not going to beat myself up about it. Yeah. Because I'm going to say I t- I decided not to do that, right? Where right. we get in trouble in normal Norman is when we don't make the decision. Yeah. And we just expect stuff to happen. Right. Right. The
1: pain of like, Oh, I know, I think I should be doing this, but I'm not doing it. And then that's just, you're carrying that around as sort of mental baggage. Right. You know, like all these things I'm not doing versus wait, I'm just not going to do that this month. Right. And then it's just, I'm focusing on these two, three, four
0: things, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. A fault that we have is so many of us though. Like I get a lot of our creative Renaissance folks that are like, Charlie, I can't do this whole five projects thing, bro. Like I got, I want to do all the things. Like, how am I going to do all the things? But I'm like, are you really doing all the things though? Are you carrying around 17 different aspirations that you want to get to, but still getting three to five things, three to five of those pushed forward. Yeah. And if you're just carrying around those additional, you know, 12, 15, like that's hard when you think about it, think of how much regret and creative constipation and sort of resentment, think of all that you're carrying around but not actually doing anything. It would be way more compassionate, way more um, just, I don't want to say smart because that, that leads a different way. I just want to say compassionate and gives us grace to say, you know what? I'm going to do three to five projects because that's what most humans bandwidth are when they're really focusing. Sure. So I'm just going to choose the ones that matter most to me and let go of the other ones. Um, that way I can sleep at night And I can look back over a month and feel like I did something.
1: So now let's talk about how might someone, and I'm sure you probably take your clients through this, or maybe your books talk about this, but um, how, how might someone listening today decide, okay, you know, I've got a few different things that I'm wanting to do. How do I, how do I choose and how do I choose what not to do?
0: Okay. So Norman, do this exercise with me. Okay. So close your eyes. Think about all of the different things you've wanted to do. And just imagine that you put them in a little, let's just call it the closet of the soul.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. They're just kind of hiding out there. Now, pretend that if I were reaching into that and I grabbed something, that you would never be able to do it again for the rest of your life. Oh, okay. Pretend that if I get it, you're not going to be able to do it for the rest of your life. Everybody has one or three things that they know if I start touching at that they like, <gasps> no, not that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Start there. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's all you have to do really in a lot of ways. Like what is, what was it about? What's your story about that thing that I almost reached for that made you be like, no, not that thing. Right. right. Like you um, can't do that anymore. You yeah. can't do that anymore. So what came up for you, Norman, when I started reaching around? Yeah, well, it's
1: uh, speaking. Speaking. It ultimately is what I love to do. I mean, I know we're in COVID times. Heck, I would take a Zoom room full of people at this point. But um, uh, so, but uh, you know, my I guess my kind of I don't know if it's a devil's advocate question, but just a question uh, about that is I've I've tried to kind of f- find my way into public speaking for a long time. And I, I do feel like writing the book is definitely going to help um, with uh, – yeah, and I've heard other people say that a, a book is often t- – or sometimes, anyway, um, helpful to getting public speaking engagements. So if, if what was in the closet was speaking um, – what let's say it was somebody else should they go directly to their toastmasters group or national speakers association group or could writing a book be a path to speaking do do tell how would you how would you decide how to
0: get there um i would first instead instead of talking about how Uh first commit that you're doing it yeah right and i know that sounds obvious but a lot of people are like oh i want to do the speaking but i haven't committed to doing the work to make that happen and really showing up and prioritizing that as a project that i'm going to do. Yeah. And so commit first. Mm-hmm. Put a ring on it. Um again, obvious, but how many of our ideas do we have floating around that we really haven't committed to? Yeah. And the second thing that i would say is you went right to sort of toastmasters, i would build what i call a success pack around yourself, right? And these are four different categories of people, your guides, who can sort of like the way you pull your guides on because of the way they see the world and the questions that they ask, not because they'll do any work for you, right? Um, Besides that, peers, which are your sort of knights of the nine, right? The people that are with you that you can poke, that you can do the soundboarding with, that you can do the brainstorming with, that will actually interact with you to help you get it done. Your supporters are the people with hands, right? You pull them on because they're going to do some work for you, right? Either directly or indirectly. And the last, which most people underestimate, is beneficiaries the people who benefit when you ship that work Mm. who are you really trying whose life are you trying to change and yeah um so what's his name um nick morgan has a book called give your speech change your world change the world nick (laughs) morgan i think that's the name of the book but his point is if you're not there to change the world with your speech stay home Yeah. yeah yeah right um if you get the precious Um, gift of someone's real-time experience or real-time attention, use it well, right? Um, And so that's what I would say, Norman, like whose life are you trying to change with this? And let's not be like 45-year-olds' moms in Iowa. Like, no, who do you know? Who can you reach out to? Who needs to hear that message? And you build three to five, put three to five people in each of those. And what you end up building is really this reality distortion buffer, right? Because you have 12 to 20 people. That are going to be able to help you make that plan. And that's the thing that people um, really fall down on is they think that they need to make a plan to be able to ask for help. So they spend a lot of time googling on their own and thrashing and dealing with their own head trash and am I good enough and is this (laughs) worth it and it's hard, right, as opposed to having these people around was like, Oh, you can go to Toastmasters. Oh, oh, I know someone who did this on this other thing. Let me introduce you to this person, right? So yeah. I want more of us to convert our how problems into who solutions, mm. right? Convert your how problems into your who solutions. And that's what yeah. your success pack allows you to do. Yeah. Um, so that's what I would say, Norman, is I actually commit to it. Yeah. Build your success pack. And then from the people on your success spec is, hey, do you have any ideas about how I might be able to do this? Yeah. Or do you know someone that can make this happen? And oh, by the way, I say speaking and I'm okay with the Zoom. And just for now, I'm okay if I'm doing like non-paid speaking. I just want to get practice. I want to be in front of people, right? And then someone might ask you the good question. It's like, well, if it's just being in front of people in that way, have you thought about doing a, you know, like a webinar on your book? Right. Mm -hmm. They'll start coming up with a lot of different ideas because they'll start asking you those different questions that unlock the gate you put yourself into or unlock the person you put yourself into.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Hell yes, lifers. Um, I've been finding this in my own life recently. Ask for help. It's not something that, I mean, I've, you know, the DIY sort of mindset. Oh, actually, this is from our friend, Jeffrey Davis. Mm -hmm. He says, DIT, do it together. Yep. Right. And that's, um, I think that's the way forward is, is, and I like your terminology too. your success pack, you know, building your team basically here of peers, mentors, supporters, beneficiaries too. I heard somebody else. This was my wife was on a coaching call and I just happened to hear somebody on that call say that um, their wife had written a book. They love creating it, but oh, the marketing, they don't like marketing, but then she had kind of come up with a term. You know, relentless helping. I think it was, or relentless service. You know, it's just sort of like that. This is all about being of service to that person that's out there in the audience, that's you know at home reading your book or whatever it is, and and um, really visualizing helping them. And uh, yeah, I think that that helps me in uh, taking away some of the reticence about that. So, okay, well, I want to be mindful of your time. I, I feel like we could probably just keep talking for two hours here, Charlie, because this is uh, so we're just getting started. But um, maybe just a, a little bit before. Before I let you go about this, um, this area of our lives, areas of our lives that we might not think of as a project, for example, let's take COVID, for example, since like, so when you said COVID, then do I break that down? a little? Well, my kid at home uh, as uh, schooling for COVID, uh, working from home and COVID, et cetera, et cetera. How, how might you suggest people? tackle that.
0: Absolutely. What I want people to pay more attention to is really how much of their time, energy, and attention some is going to worth something. Because again, if you've been homeschooling your kid and then COVID happened, it might not change a whole lot for yeah. you because you've already been doing that. It's already routine. It's already in background, right? If you weren't homeschooling your kid and you had to figure out how to be a co-teacher and an all day sort of babysitter for or, or child watcher for your kid, like that's a project, yeah. Right. Um, you're going to lose, you're not going to be able to do other things. So yeah, you absolutely can say, and that's why it's a project by itself, right? Is how am I going to reorient reorient my time energy attention throughout this phase of time to be able to solve against that need um and still do some other things that are important to me. Yeah. Right. And that's why I also said if you had that period of time where you know, you had a family member or someone that's in your community that got sick with COVID and you were in a, co- you were in a caretaker position, you know, and let's say it's for three months. For that three months, that was a project. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It may not have been forever, but for that three months of time, it was, right? But I also think we fall into the same trap when we start thinking about things like diets. Like, I know it's that time of the year. Right. Where people are like, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to lose this 15 pounds this year. And, you know, I'm going to ask like, okay, so what are your projects for that? What's your first quarter size project to get you there? Well, I'm not quite sure. Okay, well, that's, let's figure that out. Do you need to work on your nutrition? Do you need to work on your fitness? Do you you need to work on your sleep? Like, what are you going to work on? And, you know, the thing about it is, is if you've had lifestyle patterns that have led to a certain outcome, changing those patterns is a project. So if you know that you love bread, but gluten's not a friend of, friend of yours, learning for three months or six months or a year, however long it takes, how to eliminate bread from your diet is a project. All the ways that you're going to shop differently, all the ways you're going to cook differently, all the ways you're going to like manage that is itself a project. So you can start thinking about that. If you have a goal that doesn't have a project attached to it, and I'm, I'm pretty slippery on this one piece and that usually a goal without a project is just an aspiration, right? And so that's why you don't hear me talk too much about goal setting throughout this period because a lot of people have goals, but they don't have projects,
1: uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. So if you
0: have a goal that doesn't have the attached projects right, to it, right. get, realize that you're probably just have an aspiration and you're not going to make much make much action on it. So just yeah. go ahead and convert that into a project, right? Yeah. If, if it's really worth doing, convert it into a project, get it on your schedule, build a success pack, so on and so forth. And if you can't, so if you can't immediately start thinking, like, what's my project to move me forward towards that goal? You have an aspiration, and nothing wrong with aspirations.
1: That's interesting. It's just even in my head when you said that, like a goal, I have a goal of writing a book. Okay. And I had a goal for a long time of writing a book, but then to say, I have, I have one of my projects that I'm working on right now is writing a book. Even if today I haven't, st- you know, today I, I declare that uh, and I haven't done anything else up to this point, then Helios Lifers, are you, are you with Charlie on this? You know, are you ready to take whatever that is for you? The, the podcast, the book, et cetera and say hey this is not just a goal of mine that i've had for a long time it's it's a project now and i'm i'm starting to work on that project it it, it has a co- totally different feel so
0: yeah i am so change that to i i want to work on the project i am starting to work on i am working on this project i'm working on this project yeah uh, even if it's as of
1: right this moment it, the project begins yeah yep. <laughs> yeah um, well, Charlie, thank you so much for for joining us today. Uh, you know, again, I, I think, you know, we could probably talk for another hour here, but, um, but hopefully this gives our listeners a taste of what you have to offer. Um, if they want to learn more, where might they go on
0: the internet to find you? The best place on the internet to find Charlie Gilkey is ProductiveFlourishing.com. All of my body of work lives there. I don't do well with multiple brands. So it's all at PF um, or Productive Flourishing. If you happen to be hanging out on Twitter, then I'm at Charlie Gilkey. Um, I'm also poking around a little bit on Clubhouse, but I don't know how long that's going to last. Nice. Nice.
1: Okay. ProductiveFlourishing.com. Well, um, Charlie, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a blast. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Hell Yes Life podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite RSS feed. If you like the show, please leave a rating and review. And if you want to stay connected, visit hellyeslife.com and sign up for the e-newsletter and private Facebook group. Again, I'm Norman Bell. Thanks for joining me. Now let's get out there and live a hell yes life.